Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we talk to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services and some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. In the studio today with Simon Rook, Managing Director at Mac International. And down the line, we have Andrew Haley, Chartered Financial Planner, Active Chartered Financial Planners, and Hannah Slaughter, who's Senior Economist at the Resolution Foundation. Later, my colleague Harry will be talking to Tom Dower, who's the Principal of the South Durham University Technical College. Welcome, everyone. Uh, before we get to the guests in uh, uh, our discussion point, let's talk to Andrew. This is our first update on finance from a chartered financial planner. Andrew, what are the key data points? If this was the weather forecast, you'd look at what the temperature was and what the wind direction was. What are the key data points in the economy at the moment? Yes, thank you, Graham. So I think to start with, we'll touch on the, the main point that's been a big story with the cost of living crisis, etc. for the last year or so. Inflation uh, impacting households and businesses. That key uh, headline rate of CPI came in at 4% uh, in December, just creeping up slightly from the 39 that it was in uh, November. Not a huge uh, increase, of course, and we are still on track. The Bank of England is forecasting that it will be getting to its target of 2% within the next year or two. Uh, so... The key uh, tie-in with that, of course, is the interest rates. Uh, that's their tool to tackle the inflation issue. And they were held at 5.25%. Um, 6.3 was the vote uh, in favour of holding. Uh, we should note that two of those members were in favour of moving the rate upwards uh, slightly to 55 but we held at 5.25, and I think uh, mortgage uh, re people that are remortgaging in the next year will probably be quite pleased to uh, hear that news. Uh, generally, elsewhere, um, the um, labour market continues to be strong. Uh, unemployment has ticked up slightly, uh, particularly in the northeast, which I know is something you'll probably speak about uh, in detail today. Um, average house prices aren't moving along uh, too much. They're up slightly uh, on the year when you look at the index data, uh, but no major movements on house prices as of yet. We do have about 1.5 million uh, people due to remortgage in the next year. So we'll see uh, with the Bank of England's moves on interest rates, how that impacts. And from an investment market perspective, the FTSE opened around the 7,600 mark today. Been a fairly quiet start for the FTSE to this year. US markets really still driving things there. The tech AI story still dominates. Well, that's great. And I noticed that crude oil has stabilised. It hasn't, uh, it was, everyone was worried it would spike with the Red Sea, but it's, it's stabilised around $78, $80 a barrel. Yeah, I mean, geopolitical tensions, generally the Red Sea uh, impact. Thankfully, it's not been too much of an impact on the UK as things stand. Uh, oil prices are down from uh, the 100 or so uh, per barrel that they were um, back in 2022 type years. Um, relatively stable. If you look at the forecasts, um, JP Morgan, some of the big names, they're not expecting major moves on the oil front, possibly uh, dropping slightly in 2025. But... Clearly, and there's uh, some factors that are out of out of our control there. 
Andrew, that's great. It's good to get a, 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 a look at the data all in one spot. And uh, maybe we'll have you coming back and doing this on a more frequent basis on the podcast. Thank you, Andrew Haley. Thank you very much. Now, let's introduce our next guest. Uh, Hannah Slaughter is the senior economist at the Resolution Foundation. Good to have you on, uh, Hannah. And can I ask you, first of all, to tell us, hang on, we've got something covering the screen there. Uh, right, we've got you now. Um, for our viewers, um, first of all, tell us what the Resolution Foundation is. I, I know, but not everyone who listens and watches the podcast will. Yeah, of course. So we are an independent think tank um, based in London, but covering the whole of the, the UK. And our focus is on improving living standards for people on low to middle incomes. Um, and we do that across a lot of different areas, uh, including uh, housing, incomes, taxes and benefits, but I personally cover the labour market. Now, I was very interested listening to Andrew Haley's update of the data. Uh, and we were he was talking about the Bank of England and the interest rate decision. I was lucky I attended in the northeast of England, in Newcastle, a business lunch with the member of the shadow, one of the two members of the uh, MPC who put uh, voted to put up interest rates. Obviously, they didn't have a majority. And he was saying that actually the economy is still running quite hot. And he was particularly looking at wage levels accelerating uh, beyond inflation. So I know, I know you look at the, uh, the, uh, the way in which working families um, uh, can deal with the financial pressures of everyday life. But this was an economist utterly convinced that these families, along with legions of others, um, were in a better position and the facts bore that out and they could have uh, a justification for an increase in interest rates. What, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think it's it's a really difficult job for the Bank of England to gauge because on the one hand, obviously, you know, from people's living standards, it's, it's good news if wages are rising above inflation in that people can kind of you know, buy more with their pay packets um, in in real terms. But what the Bank of England's often worried about is if, you know, if, if wages are rising too fast and then businesses have to put up prices in order to pay those wages, then, you know, then inflation rises for everyone. And then, you know, people aren't any better off because, because the inflation um, then just kind of rises to overtake wages. So it's a really kind of um, fine balance and, and something that's been kind of, um, yeah, it, it's kind of been difficult to kind of, uh, Yes. Take the right side of the data. What I would say is that, um, you know, workers, yes, workers are doing better in real terms than they um, than they were a year ago. But, you know, we should see that in the context of the cost of living crisis as a whole. When we look, you know, over the, the full kind of two, three years that um, inflation has been high for, um, you know, wages are still kind of lower in real terms than, than they were then. Um, and wages are also starting to slow when we look at kind of more recent data, so say over the last three months rather than over the last year. So it looks like kind of wages are starting to cool off um it, you know it hopefully in a way that means that the bank of england won't have to raise um uh, rates to stem inflation um further but it's obviously right that they are kind of keeping a close eye on what's going on there so that they can kind of make the right judgments and it, it is true of course he was the minority report of it um but it was a three-way split on the bank of england this month because there was one uh, of the economists that said that a rate cut was right at this stage the the one interesting thing takeaway I had because my business in PR and so on, he was pointing out that the service sector is seeing continued wage growth, and obviously that was sticky as far as the Bank of England was concerned, and wages account for the larger proportion of costs within the service sector than other sectors. 
Yeah, and it's I think it's always true that um, services uh, inflation is always kind of um, it changes more slowly than goods inflation, just because goods are, are often mm. more volatile. And and as you say, kind of with wages being a big part of the story at the moment, um, it, it's kind of natural that it will take kind of longer for even for, for kind of slowing wages to feed through into uh, into inflation and, and particularly into services inflation. So. Um, it's perhaps uh, unsurprising that that services inflation is taking longer to come down. It you know as long as it is kind of moving in the right direction, or we you know we think it's going to kind of feed through eventually. That you know obviously the Bank of England when they're when they're doing forecasts that they're thinking about kind of what you know what's coming down the path from you know from the changes to other other prices that we've seen so far. So um, now the data yeah. the data that affects the people who you speak for is lower income and middle income families. Uh, that, that uh, of course that all people in politics are concerned about as well and make the vast proportion of customers for the businesses that listen to this podcast these families uh, are facing uh, cost increases in other areas uh, food is still going up or by albeit by not as much and uh, consumer products are still going up albeit by not as much fortunately uh, energy prices have stabilized but there are things that are hitting uh, these families, like all council tax. I don't think I could see a council in the country that isn't putting up council tax by more than inflation. Mobile telephones. I mean, the, the mobile the phone providers were given by the regulator permission to increase their bills last year by inflation plus 3.9%. So all of these have a... A, a, a tiny effect but added together quite a significant effect on household income Do, is that uh, something you find bears scrutiny yeah absolutely i mean something that we saw a lot especially during the, the period when prices were rising really quickly is that because of the the kind of the fact that different types of household buy different kinds of things some families were getting hit harder by inflation than others so that the key example was that um when when food prices were rising really quickly it was lower income households who were really bearing the brunt of that partly because they spend more proportionally of their budget on essentials like food and partly because you know that if they're already buying the cheapest brands they can't you know switch to you know Sainsbury's basics instead of you know normal Sainsbury's um so it's it's always been kind of quite unequal um and it's yeah it's, it's clearly still even though overall price growth is slowing uh first of all as you say there are there are products where that's not the case and prices are rising really quite quickly um but also we shouldn't forget that even if prices are growing less quickly they're still they're still growing and, and also we've still we're still living with the higher price levels that um have, have kind of come from this long period of rising prices so even though the cost of living crisis might be entering a bit of a new phase, it's certainly not over yet. Now, I don't know how the foundation, what the foundation's view is, or you as an economist's view is on getting money into working families' pockets. The government chose at the beginning of this year to cut the working family tax in the form of cutting national insurance, because people who pay income tax and don't work don't pay national insurance. So by cutting national insurance, it was going to working families. Um, and it was quite a, a reasonably significant cut, wasn't it? And the government is hinting at more of the same in the budget next month. What's your view on that as a mechanism of putting money into those families? 
Yeah, I, well, I think when we think about the changes to the tax system that, well, the, the ones that we saw uh, in the budget in the autumn statement in November and the ones that we might see if, if the government chooses to do more of those uh, at the next budget in March. So it's, I, I guess it's a bit of a, a bit of a double-edged sword because yes, they're cutting the, the rates and, and, you know, the proportion of, of, um, of their income that, the, the rate of tax that people pay on their income. Um, but what they're also doing over the longer term is keeping the thresholds at which you start to pay tax frozen. So actually, so often or kind of um, normally, I suppose there's, you know, the, the rates, the threshold at which you start to pay tax uh, would, would kind of gradually go up with inflation so that, um, you know, the, the poorest, um, the poorest workers don't uh, don't pay any income tax or you don't pay income tax on the kind of um, a, a certain chunk of your earnings. Um, and normally that would kind of um, go up with inflation. So it stays roughly the same in real terms, but that's not happening. So actually people on relatively lower earnings are being gradually brought into the into scope of having to pay tax and then into, into higher rates. So when you look kind of at those effects combined, it's a bit more of a mixed picture. Um, and so it's kind of, it, it's it's, you know, it will have an impact for some people, but for some people they'll be kind of brought into the paying tax in the first place when they might not have been otherwise or kind of paying higher rates because of those threshold reasons. Okay. Now, uh, one piece of economic news, which all people in employer, employ, employer land, people who pay, pay uh, wage bills will be interested in, is that there was a record number, 2.8 million people, of people who are long-term sick. Um, and, you know, there may be employers and others who feel that it is too easy for some to claim long-term sick or it's too difficult to move from long-term sick into employment and something needs to be do done to address that figure and liberate some of these people to work in the workforce w what is your view on that and do you have any ideas whether it is possible to tackle this yeah it's definitely a big issue it's it's something that's you know been on policymakers' minds especially since the kind of uh the, the the COVID uh, pandemic started to kind of you know as we moved out of the lockdown phases it, it emerged that this kind of rise in economic inactivity so people who are not working but they're also not looking for work and especially people who um are their reason for that is that they've got a long-term health condition that's been rising I mean it was rising before the pandemic but it kind of has, has continued to rise since and become a big policy focus and it's you know it's certainly a concern um the fact that you know these people are not able to participate in the labor market not able to to kind of um you know gain a higher income through that than than they'd be able to get um out of work um and and it's yeah it, it's certainly um a problem um it, i think in terms of um supporting people i mean it's i mean part of it is is just about the health of the population i mean there, there's kind of evidence yeah you know, aside from the economic um, the economic data, there's, there's evidence that, that, you know, there's rising rates of ill health in the population um, as a whole and tackling that is is really crucial. And I mean, for example, in, in, in the last budget, the government put more money into uh, mental health services, which has been one kind of big area where we've seen um, kind of a rise in ill health. So that's really welcome and kind of tackling the, the root issue. And then it's it's in terms of kind of supporting those people back into work because i mean it's really you know it's important for those people's living standards it's also important for businesses who you know want a pool of uh, jobs of, of, of workers to, to fill their jobs who want the skills um to be able to fill those jobs um but in order to do that it's quite difficult to kind of bring people back into work after they've been 
um, out of the workforce for a long time. It is, you know, it's possible. And, and again, one of the things that the government did um, in, in the last budget was put more money or, um, into kind of support to help people with with health conditions to get back into work. coaches and but, so on. And, and, and maybe a yeah. more assertive uh, screening of people who are on the on the the benefits so that they can be helped automatically one might think that they're being screened to chase them off benefit but nevertheless there are some jobs that you can do if you have certain conditions yeah there are and i mean you know that there's there's good reason for not having a benefit system that you know says you know classifies someone as just you can't work you're, you're too sick to work so you know some kind of a you know revision of that assessment is welcome i mean i think it, the key is to to make sure it's, it is about as you say supporting people into work and into work that's like suitable for them and i think that's you know that that's a key area where we think policy should focus is 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 a you know helping people get into jobs that are right for them but also helping to keep people in work in the first place so that they don't leave and that might be things around kind of providing flexible work whether it is remote work if it's you know people can work from home if it's that they need more flexible hours to attend medical appointments providing that kind of thing um or you know giving people the right to return to work if they have to take an extended period of sick sickness absence to to make sure that they can you know come back to their job um rather than having to leave the workforce entirely i think that's where we think policy can have the most impact hannah thank you for that say that simon you're an employer you live uh, your business based in northeast england um we'll get into that in a minute what do you have to say on what hannah is saying about some of this long-term sick and do you have re recruitment issues yourself well yes graham we do um with the point of the um sickness and absence what i've found over the years is we we tend to grow with certain people in the business, members of staff, and you get to know them. You get to know their problems. Um, you get to know what they want, what they don't want, good things and bad things. And I think over the years, we've developed a culture where we can actually talk to people. So if a problem does come along, which it invariably will and does often, um, there's a solution. Uh, we like to think we can retain people, very good long-term staff. But every challenge that you can imagine will come to a small company, medium company, owner. Um, sickness is, 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 is not rife, but anything can happen and it will. And the way you deal with that is, is very important. We're looking for a, for a level of, of, of staff and quality of uh, employees that, uh, that, that can really work and do justice for us, which we've got. But it isn't a simple thing. Mm. It requires a lot of skills. HR alone, it's a complex subject. An HR manager may or may not do it and help. The whole management team is involved on a day-to-day -day basis. It does sometimes feel, as a small business myself, that you are a part of the social services you, you, you in many ways. Are. You certainly are. You have to be yeah. more than just focused yeah. on your job. And, and that's experience, and that comes with time. Um, and I think that's a good thing. And, and sometimes it's a difficult thing to explain to people, but you do get involved in people's problems. You know, there, there's a point where you can't, and, and the structure comes into place. But I'm very much uh, in support of um, the, the, the increase in the national minimum wage, and we track above that, and I think most companies will be doing that. Um, so it, it's a complex subject, and it's an interesting subject. Do enjoy it. Let's talk about your business for a little bit. Uh, Hannah, stay with us. I'll probably come to you to round up, round up at the end. Uh, Mac International, uh, it makes things. This it does. Is fantastic <laughs> news. We want things we being made in Britain. Tell we everyone do. what you make. Okay, well, thanks, Graham. We make a range of pressure washers, um, have done for many years, and we're, we're lucky enough to have a 
brilliant network of, of distributors across the country who retail the products that we distribute to them. So our factory in Darlington will produce a range of hot and cold uh, specialist pressure washers that uh, will be sold into all areas of industry, petrochemical, pharmaceutical, transport, agriculture. So we, we tend to get a good barometer of what's going on in the UK. The dealers will have their fingers in, in, in numerous pies. Um, and from our point of view, the economy, you mentioned the economy you thought was hot. I think it probably is. I think things are actually going very well. Um, well, that's great. And by the way, these pressure washers, if you think about a pressure washer you use on your car, <laughs> no, no, it's not like that, that is the same relationship as your car to an articulated truck. It is. Uh, so We're that, talking about a big pressure the washer. big pressure washer. Industrial pressure washers, which but, most people have got in business. Now, these industrial pressure washers have used diesel engines to power them. They have. And you've managed to find a niche of convincing your customers to change to different Absolutely. fuel. Absolutely. That's quite right. Um, Net zero is everything to us. We're in an industry which regrettably has burnt quite a lot of CO2, emitted CO2 as a process of what it does. Um, as a responsible manufacturer and supplier, we're finding various different routes. And one of them is um, our creation of a new range of products which utilises 100% electricity to heat the water with huge benefits, not only in performance and uh, the quality of the product, but also the obvious fact is we're not emitting any co2 from that product um, it's, it's an industry problem it's not a mac problem and uh, we're working towards offering our customers choice because we're not saying that the old system is bad or it's wrong we just need to find a route forward if people want to take that now you are still an sme but nevertheless you're a reasonably good sme you've got uh, millions and millions of turnover <laughs> not hundreds of millions but millions and millions but here's the interesting thing uh, you, your growth in these net zero products, you're growing hundreds of percent. It's you know, well, turnover yeah. in these things is doubling every year. I think if it was day one and we, it was day two with those figures, we sold a few machines, but it isn't. It's, it's five years in and the product is really getting some traction in the in, in, in industry generally. The sell of these products is very important. Um, you, you're talking about you're asking people to spend a little bit more money, but the payback is, is quick. And uh, the benefits of no fuel, no diesel, no gas oil is enormous. And mm. it's taken hold, particularly in the northeast, which is a very important area for us. As, as we know in the northeast, that um, net zero is, is, is a major issue in Tees Valley. And we're talking to people who want to hear this, as opposed to talking to people who just would, would rather use the old traditional methods. And it's made a huge difference in the development of the product. We've been able to try and test it in all sorts of fantastic companies in the northeast successfully and it's developed a product now which is nationally bought and we're looking to internationally sell in the next year or two that's fantastic it could be an exporter and that's what we need in britain because the balance of trade is in in the end the quite a significant thing in our economy and let's just ask you about forthcoming thoughts on the wider economic picture uh, go back to where we started um what do you think about the level of interest rates? Are you happy where they are? Would you, if you were on the the member of the shadow, the MPC, would you vote to cut them up? Probably not. It's a double-edged sword, and they're obviously spit on that. Um, I would think that the interest rates would, I, if anything, I'd like to see them a touch down. We're finding that um, companies that we deal with, suppliers, they're under pressure, um, and a lot of it would be down to old borrowing. Mm. Um, which is painful. Um, but as an importer, obviously, we want the strong pound. So slight interest rate rise would always help us with that. Now, 
you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. Yep. And Hannah works with the Resolution Foundation, yep. which would look after employees. Yep. If tax cuts were going to happen in the budget, they, they might be focused on national insurance. And we just had Liz Truss back in the picture on television. And it reminds us that they were looking at top rate tax cuts last year or two years ago. Where, where do you think tax cuts should be levied? Well, I think that the one-off um, super tax is the answer to a lot of things if you believe that story, um, which a lot of people don't. I think it can be an easy answer to political questions about how things are going to be funded, tax the super rich. I think the taxes at the moment, as we see right here, seem to work. Um, politically, it's going to change. Possibly, we don't know. If it does, then we'll be faced with a different set of problems. What about, I'm going to just, this is the last topic to introduce today because we're running over time. Okay. I was looking at a Labour spokesman talking about taxing unearned income at the same level as earned income. Now, that would mean if you were paying an income tax rate and you're a business owner of 45% plus national insurance of 2% on top, so 47%, or if you're in Scotland a bit more, your capital gains tax would be significant if you sold a business asset. Mm -hmm. um, some of people I know who own businesses regard tax, that's a disincentive to invest. Um, not at this stage for, for, for us. I think, um, you know, we're, we're pretty young in our development of the company. Um, and all we can do is play the hand that's in front of us at the moment. But um, we're very aware of future tax implications and it does seem a little bit unfair that you work to do that and then it's taxed with a reward if if you can do sell an asset um but i think we're pretty i think it's okay at the moment uh hannah what's your view on this you know what i'm talking about don't you this is the the tax on what's described as unearned income yeah but uh, if Simon buys the building his building's in, uh, that's income that his business has earned and it's probably been taxed with corporation tax in the yeah. first place as well. What, what's your view on this, this particular attack, which could be coming down the line, on capital gains? Well, I can't, I can't say I'm a, a tax expert in particular, but, I, you know, in terms of the kind of broader uh, sentiment, you know, it, I think, you know, if, if you're going to tax you know, income from work, uh, then there's, there's clearly a case for uh, taxing other forms of income um, in a similar way. Obviously that, you know, there, there's kind of questions about looking at the whole of the tax system and, you know, if there are other taxes that people are paying on, on those forms of income, making sure that they're not kind of then suddenly having to pay above the odds in terms of tax. Um, do you believe but... in the principle that a lower tax is a higher incentive or do you not? Um... I mean, probably to a certain point, again, it's it's not my area of expertise. Um, what I would say is in terms of kind of stimulating growth, where where we think is 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 worth kind of, you know, putting the money is in investing in uh in infrastructure and in public sector and uh kind of getting, you know, businesses to invest in the private sector and uh in, in things that we need. And and I think, you know, in terms of, you know, if you know, if, if we kind of take the 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 government's kind of, you know, if if you know okay, you want to cut taxes where, you know, if we were going to do that, where where would we go? I think one of our examples would be um, around stamp duty so that, you know, and the, and the reason for that being that there's, you know, that that reducing stamp duty would um, help people be more mobile around the country and, and to help kind of, um, you know, use 
the labour force more effectively and, and kind of help people kind of yeah help kind of break down some of those geographical boundaries but um yeah that's kind of an you know if if, if we were going to cut taxes what would we do but uh, i'm not saying that's kind of hannah that's very balanced. helpful that's asked and answered thank you for joining us thank you simon and now to conclude the program today over to my colleague harry i always mention at the end of the program because he produces it now he's been out and about with our cameras and he spoke with tom dower principal at south durham university technical college Thanks, Graham. I'm here at uh, South Durham University Technical College in Newton Aircliffe. It's National Apprenticeship Week, and I spoke with Tom Dower, the principal of the UTC. Apprenticeships are fantastic because you're training, you're learning, you're in the world of work, you're being paid, and you're also getting qualifications as well. And especially if you look at degree apprenticeships and higher apprenticeships, the level of experience that a young person will have is absolutely brilliant for them. If you think about what employers are looking for, they're looking for people who are ready to come into the workplace and uh, engage in a really positive way in work. That work readiness only happens if you have young people who've had experiences of academic, technical in this case, and workplace education. So UTCs provide that opportunity for them to build their confidence through dealing with employers, through a range of different projects and a range of experiences. Our students show visitors around they meet with members of parliament, they have really good interactions with adults, which means that they're confident and ready when they go into the workplace. So employers can get involved in a number of different ways, but at the UTC, they can come and work with our students on projects, on, on visits, and they can take placements. So for example, the new T-levels, which are an amazing qualification uh, which the government has introduced, um, require 45 days of work experience for a young person. Now, after that 45 days, they are absolutely ready for work. Uh, but it's up to employers to volunteer themselves in order to be able to furnish that experience. Thank you, Harry, for that report. And now if you want to join us as a guest on the Northern Business Podcast, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to producer Harry Sinclair and also technical operator uh, Robin Campbell. Join us next time on the Northern Business Podcast. Don't miss an episode. Do like, rate and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.